Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Miesler, and this show provides content curation as a service with a focus on the intersection of security, technology, and humans. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts, and each episode is either a curated summary of what I've discovered in the past week or a standalone essay that hopefully gives you something to think about. All right, welcome to episode 175, starting off with security news. This one is about deep fakes and how they're about to seriously erode collective ability to tell the truth from fiction. I've talked a lot about this in the past and this thing done by Nova recently, this uh, video, really cool video. It basically describes how when Star Wars like did a mimic of Princess Leia uh, in the past, how many computers it took and how long it took and how many engineers and just crazy amounts of effort. And now you could do the same thing for in like 30 minutes. And the, the pace of technology in this space has just become ridiculous. And it's using these uh, general adversarial networks called GANs. And the technology is just accelerating. It's it's getting so, so easy to do. And it, and it shows a bunch of examples of like Obama being mimicked. And it was actually uh, Key from Key and Peele doing the speaking, but his words were coming out of Obama's mouth and it was very convincing. And the, the idea here is we're just losing the ability, we're going to lose the ability for even more people to tell the difference between truth and fiction. And we actually don't need any help in this regard because it's already hard for, you know, old white people basically to tell that difference or old people in general. Um, they, they're just passing around an extraordinary amount of fake content. And if you're actually looking at the person that you hate, and they're moving in exactly the same way. And they're saying something that you hate. Like that is, that's going to push it over the line, I think, because they're trying to do what they want to do, right? They're, they're, they're trying to research. So they go and do a search and they find these videos and a bunch of people say, oh, that's actually fake. But everyone that you listen to says, no, it's not fake. And now this is true for every single thing that comes out. Is it fake or is it not fake? And all you could really do is tag it with like a source. So if you're watching live on whatever, CNN or Fox News, okay, it, and it looks like a set where the person is actually in the room, okay, that that might be legit. But later on when a video comes out of that thing that you saw live, you don't know if part of that was faked. So I think we're about to just go down this rabbit hole. It's going to be so nasty where you, you just don't know what you're looking at. It, and it's also text, right? The, the GANs, uh, the OpenAI project is working on GANs for text where it could write articles for you. And it, it looks really, really like a human. So this space is... I think it's a serious danger to democracy, honestly. And I think that's the right way to frame it. Um, 
I, I, there are some technologies that are coming out that are, they're basically very similar to GANs. They're like one half of the GAN, which is testing to see if it looks real. So I, I think there will be technologies that run, that could tell discerning people if, uh, if there's a chance that this video is faked. But what percentage of the population is going to use that tool, right? We already have, we don't have many fakes now, and it's already hard for a, a large percentage of the population to tell the difference. So what percentage is actually going to use that tool? It's, it's pretty bleak looking to me. Slack has warned the world that it's being targeted by nation state actors. I'm glad they said that, but we already knew it. I, I've been thinking of this for a while. I mean, think of what an attacker could get if they could get access to a sensitive company's internal Slack communication without being detected and they could just sit there and lurk. That is just unbelievably powerful um, to be able to sit there. I mean, people are passing around passwords. They're spreading insider information. You could do stock trading based on it. I mean, just all sorts of nasty stuff. Scientists have captured the brainwaves of someone hearing speech. They then ran the brainwaves of the person listening to speech through an algorithm that created its own speech from the recordings. And they got a 75% recognition rate from humans on that speech. So the algorithm knew what the person heard, turned that into spoken language of its own that people actually understood. So the next step for this is an algorithm to know what people thought as opposed to just heard. In other words, machine learning is taking us very close to mind reading, but somehow we still have potholes and cancer. It's very strange. JetBlue is mapping out the future of facial recognition in the United States, like unofficially, I would say, but still quite poignantly. Um, basically someone got in a conversation with their customer service. They basically went online and said, Hey, I didn't scan when I got onto a plane and I just looked into a camera. Is that facial recognition? Like, did I sign up for this? How do I unsign up for it? They're like, Oh yeah, that's just the thing that we do now. We just scan people's faces and, um, you know, you're welcome for the convenience. And you are able to opt out. And they're like, well, how did you have my face? And they're like, well, the Homeland Security sent me your face. And then they're like, Homeland Security sent you my biometric data? Like, how, how is this happening? And it's just this giant long Twitter thread that just gets more and more, I guess, uh, creepy as it goes along. I personally see this as massively inevitable. So I, I've not even been wasting cycles on fighting uh, this type of thing. To me, the question is, which fights do you pick? How do you make the prevalence of this technology better for us as opposed to only better for the people who are using it? So I, I want to move the fight towards um, improving an inevitable situation and not waste the time trying to fight an a, a uh, inevitable situation. And I think that's where I differ from some folks in the community. Um, I, I just don't think this is something we can win. It's, I mean, th think about the number of people who say, 
I have nothing to hide, therefore my privacy is not important. That is a massive percentage of people. I, I don't know the actual percentage. I think it's something, it's, it's probably high 70s or 80s, maybe 90%. Very few people are like, no, I, I don't want people to monitor me because even if I'm not doing anything wrong, it's bad. I mean, those are like political science <laughs> undergraduates and, and above. The average person just doesn't care and they would rather feel safe than feel completely free because that debate that, you know, that Jeffersonian debate is not happening in their brains right now. Um, and, and we're assuming a lot of them to be thinking that it is happening in their brains. So uh, this facial recognition, I mean, all a company has to do is say, hey, look, we're going to catch terrorists. And if someone steals your stuff, you're going to get it back and it's safer and it's better and less terrorism and less 9-11. And everyone's going to be like, oh, I just feel so much better. And there's going to be this tiny, tiny fraction who are in the ACLU and the EFF and in information security, like, like a lot of us who are listening. And uh, we're going to be like, hey, you know, we need to watch out for this. But that that is... Uh, that is a tidal wave, like train, whatever mixed metaphor. We're not stopping it. The question is, how can we make it safer, more transparent, better for us? Because it is absolutely coming. The U.S. is working very hard to keep the F-35 secret safe from Russia and China due to its strategic importance. This article is interesting. I didn't know that it was um, part of its plan is actually to be able to shoot down ICBMs before they get into orbit. So it's like if our Aegis systems are targeted by local nuclear weapons and taken out, these F-35s can actually go and stop some of these uh, missiles. It feels, I don't know, I, I guess it's smart. Obviously, there's smart people thinking about it. But if you have thousands of these things being launched, and we're talking about a serious like nuclear Armageddon situation, I mean, a nation state has actually decided to destroy another nation state. It seems strange that a few F-35s would be able to keep that under control. Maybe maybe this has to do with like a local a local situation where. Uh, a group got one and they tried to launch it. I just don't understand a group only having one ICBM. It just seems like they could launch everything and planes wouldn't be able to stop that. But what do I know? Um, the New York Times privacy project team deployed, this is a really cool project. They deployed a $60 Amazon facial recognition system in New York City for nine hours and detected like 2,700 faces. And it would find matches. It was, so they pulled like a list of publicly available people who are just around in the area. And they had that as their database. Then they just deployed this super cheap $60 scanner, found all those faces and did matches. And it found like one match of a professor who lives locally. And it said like, oh, there's an 89% chance, something like 89% chance uh, that this is really the person. And they all looked at each other and they're like, yeah, we're turning this off. And suddenly this is a big problem. Like we didn't know it was this easy to do somewhat effective 
facial recognition for $60. Uh, so it scared the crap out of them and the uh, EFF uh, lawyers that were uh, observing. Uh, Amazon's warehouses are largely so efficient due to extreme monitoring of their packing staff. So you've got all these, you know, human bodies there working. I say human bodies because I'm thinking of like the Matrix comic, the Animatrix, right? It doesn't have to be humans. But anyway, you've got cameras robot cameras. Uh, is it really a robot camera? Anyway, you got robot cameras watching humans packing and they have a state that they're watching this human be in. Are they packing currently? Are they not packing? So they have this thing, um, off task time OTT, I think is the acronym. So are you currently on off task time? So did you check your phone and now you're not packing? And here's the crazy part. It can actually scan, watch this, and then it counts your off task time. And if you deviate too much and you're not packing or you're not packing enough boxes, the machine will fire you. <laughs> so they, they had some uh, warehouses where Hundreds of people had been fired recently. Like, like I forget what the time frame was, like multiple months or something, or maybe it was like over a year. But it was just like the system monitors the humans. It's like you know must work more, and the humans would you know do their regular thing. And if they didn't work enough, it would just be like human number one zero six five seven. You have obviously I'm making this part up. It's like sci-fi, but it's dystopian sci-fi. It's like you have failed to meet the standard. Um, your access has been revoked. Security is coming to get you. That is, I, I get efficiency. Everyone loves efficiency, right? Everyone loves seeing the Amazon boxes show up because it means your magical treasure has arrived. But <clears throat> think about a giant warehouse full of humans who are being monitored by, you know, robots slash algorithms slash AI. And when you slightly drop the ball too many times and are not productive enough, you know, how much sleep have you had? How many other jobs have you had? How expensive is it to live in your city? Like all these concerns for, for people who are struggling. And I'm not saying everyone's like that, you know, there could just be like, you know, lazy people and they, it's their only job and, you know, it's their fault that they got fired. But increasingly, when you have more and more disparity between people, you have more and more people struggling and it's more expensive to live in these cities anyway, where the warehouses are located. There's something very dystopian about just machines monitoring humans, making sure they hit their, their efficiency numbers or they get automatically fired without a human being involved at all. It's like a cop, you know, handing out tickets as opposed to, um, getting the ticket in the mail that used to be illegal. It used to have to have a person there. And this just feels much worse than getting a ticket in the mail because the machine is firing you and there's no manager there to do it. It's uh anyway, really interesting. Private police forces are growing in Detroit. This is like the dystopian episode. Private police forces are growing in Detroit which is something I predicted like over 10 years ago, I was actually trying to figure out like how to start a business around this, which is kind of macabre, but uh, basically the less social capital you have in a city, the lower the quality of 
the public police force. And that's, that's an assertion on my part. Pretty sure that's backed up, but seems obvious to me. Um, and the larger the gap between the rich and the poor as well. I mean, that, that's, so you basically have a, a Gini coefficient, like a uh, disparity between high and low income. You have less social capital between those groups. And the police, the local police force kind of decays, right? There's more crime, there may be more corruption in the police, maybe less police because the budget is low, because you have less income uh, in that area or whatever. And the result is the rich bring in their own security. They're just like, yeah, whatever. We need to police the streets and make sure they don't come over here, right? So they hire private police forces. And uh, that's exactly what's happening in Detroit right now. And someone on Twitter had the most amazing analysis. They're like, isn't this the plot to RoboCop? <laughs> and it actually, it actually is. It's like dead or alive, you're coming with me. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. ISIS appears to be regrouping and the Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka attacks may be an indication of growing confidence of, um, and an indication of what's, uh, coming in the future. So evidently they are spinning up online again, uh, and it doesn't look good. It looks unpleasant. Technology news. E-Trade is about to get into cryptocurrency trading uh, just in the nick of time. Uh, well done. Uh, Hertz has sued Accenture for biffing a digital transformation project. Evidently, they spent millions and millions on a new website and all this, you know, cool kung fu stuff and uh, evidently got nothing for those tens of millions of dollars. Human news Emotional problems associated with obesity can evidently develop as early as age seven, causing more issues later in life. Artists are, re are um, revisiting the idea of guilds in order to share resources amongst themselves. The text actually says resisting the idea. That is unfortunate. Er. Uh, Disney has banned smoking in their parks. I think that goes into effect Wednesday. Recent law changes in California have made it easier to poach employees. Not sure who that's good for, I guess, for employees. It makes it more competitive. And there's been a disturbance in the force in the world of cosmology. Some people are finding measurements of the Hubble constant to be higher than it's supposed to be. I think that I saw a stat that said like 9% higher, which would mean the universe was younger. And a lot of people are saying the implications could be massive uh, just throughout physics. So as a non-expert, I'll just be watching with popcorn. Ideas, trends, and analysis. Machine learning will capture the je ne sais quoi of human existence. This is a piece that I wrote I really, you should check this one out. It, it's about what I think is the most powerful aspect of machine learning. It's basically, you know, if a chef smells something, uh, you know, someone else's dish or their dish, and they're like, eh, you see their face crinkle up and they're like, eh, this is not quite right. Think about what's happening in that moment. Their brain is telling them a signal no, this is not right. But it's not telling them exactly what's wrong with it. 
it's a it's a mystery to them. They, they're as confused as anyone about what's happening in their brain, right? It's, it's the same when a security expert walks into a street in Iraq and says, get everyone out. And they're like, why? What's going on? They're like, no, 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 this is bad. This is really bad. Get everyone out. And it turns out, you know, a bomb is about to go off. They don't know how they know that something is really, really off. It's the way people are moving. It's like the whispering. It's too quiet. It's too loud. Whatever the reason, they're not quite sure, right? But they know. And the original way this got surfaced, or one of the ways, was through the Blink book by Malcolm Gladwell, which has somewhat of a bad reputation at this point. But but um, fascinating, like, first story, this person has brought it, uh, a museum is about to buy an ex- super expensive piece of art or a uh, an artifact of some sort. And they call in an expert to make sure it's, it's uh, to do like a full assessment to get up on it and like do all the tests and everything and tell them if it's real before they pay like whatever a jillion dollars for it. This woman walks down the stairs to get into the basement turns in the direction to walk towards the thing, sees it from way across the room and says, oh yeah, it's fake. Absolutely fake. They're like, what are you talking about? You haven't even seen it yet. You haven't walked up to it. She's like, no, it's, it's fake. I know it's fake. They're like, oh, well, okay, that's fine. You know, we respect your opinion, but please go take a look at it. She walks up on it, looks at it, starts picking through it, spends tons of time after that point figuring out like how she knew that it was fake. The more she digs, the more she picks at it. She's like, actually, this thing is super legit. Every single, it's perfectly layered. Like it's got, I can't remember the exact specifics. It was like the paint. It was like all these different facets. She's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I was just wrong. I I didn't, I, I don't know why my brain told me to say that. So they buy it. And months later, they find out it was actually fake. She knew instantly. She saw it from the side and knew it was fake, right? How did she know? Can she articulate how she knew? No. Specifically, she could not articulate that. Same with the chef. Same with the security expert. Genius and expertise are mysteries to humans. Even to the genius and the expert themselves. It, it's emerging from the, the complexity of the brain, right? Another cool example, which is in the essay that I'm talking about that I wrote is uh, this woman who could smell Parkinson's on people. She could smell the back of their shirt, like the top of their back. So, so she smelled 12 shirts. She told them six, six of them had Parkinson's. And they're like, actually, you know, that was amazing. I can't believe you did that, but you got one wrong. It was actually only five, but just still fantastic. Turns out six months later, that person had it as well. So she actually did smell it. She could describe, I don't know, there's this weird smell, right? And that's the smell that told her that they had it. No one could detect it. Like they couldn't figure that out. Turns out they went in with some spectrograms or whatever. It was in a recent podcast I did. And they went in and like, um, it's not spectrogram, spectrometer. Yeah. Anyway, they pulled the chemicals out. They found the chemicals that she was actually smelling. Same with dogs. Dogs can smell drugs. How do they know? 
They don't smell, oh, it's this chemical and this molecule and blah. They're just like, yes or no. Whoop, there it is. I, I smell it. It is definitely here, right? So the point is that the je ne sais quoi of human existence or dog existence or whatever, it's like, does this smell good? Does this smell bad? It's all hit in hidden variables. It's in so much sensory input combined with processing, complex processing happening in the brain, which yields like a black box answer to the person, right? Well, this is what machine learning is going to do. It's already doing it. If you combine better sensors, so for example, there are algorithms that can that can uh, detect cancer way better than humans because they see more shades of gray. So the same trick that the human brain is doing, the computer brain is doing, but it sees more sh shades of gray. It has better eyes. So, so if you have better eyes, that's one side, or if you have better processing, that's the other side. Either way, you're getting to the je ne sais quoi of a cancer or not a cancer, right? Or the je ne sais quoi of this street at this exact moment is extremely dangerous. I am predicting a high chance of a bomb going off in the next four minutes or whatever, right? This is what machine learning is going to do. It is going to pry into the hidden variables inside the world of everything we care about, okay? Imagine you're looking at a person, you just met them on the street and they're like, I need $10 for gas, right? What are all the variables that are possible here? Can you read their face? Can you tell if their heart is beating fast? Can you, can you do all these things? You meet a con, uh, con man and they're, they're trying to trick you into buying a house or trying to trick your parents into buying the, getting into the deal of a lifetime. What if they, what if they had, um, you know, a Google glass on their face and the Google glass told them there's an 89% chance that this person is lying to you. And you're like, look, mom, every time you talk to somebody and they're trying to sell you something, put this on, it's going to listen to their voice. It's going to monitor their facial expressions. It's going to do all these different things. So when you're talking to a telemarketer, you need to do that. And it'll tell you if they're likely lying or not. And if it's over 90%, definitely don't do it. Wh whatever. The point is all these algorithms here's what's going to happen. You're going to have input streaming into you. The input is going to be a camera. It's going to be sound. It's going to be uh, chemicals like the woman who could smell particular molecules. All those inputs are going to come in into sensors that are wide range, always monitoring, very sensitive. Then you're going to have these super powerful backend cloud systems doing crazy, crazy deep learning on on the variables coming in according to models, right? And multiple models combined, and they're gonna give you a black box answer. And it is going to be way better. It's gonna be exponentially better than humans, right? For multiple reasons. One, like Benedict Evans talks about, what could you do with uh, 10,000 interns? Quite a bit, right? Well, what could you do with 10,000 interns who had 600 years of experience? quite a bit more, right? So it's not about an individual thing having more intelligence than a human expert. It's about the combination of all these things. 
um, for example, Dota just beat, um, yeah, OpenAI team just beat humans in Dota. And this this was uh, last week's uh, paid episode. But basically the idea is um, this thing is learning. This AI is learning 800 years per day and currently has 40,000 years. And this was like last week, so now it's way different. But 40,000 years of experience playing Dota. And guess what? It's beating humans. So that sort of firepower focused at every sensory input that matters to a human, it's going to smell your soup and tell you what you're missing, or it's going to tell you how to fix it or um, how to improve it or, or just give you a thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, it's a little bit more complex to tell you what it's missing, right? That's the black box part. But um, it's going to be able to look at the street for you and tell you if you should walk down that street or take a right. It's going to be able to smell that shirt and tell if you're getting a disease. It's going to be able to do these things that some experts can do, but we're going to be able to do it at scale and much faster. So this is what machine learning is all about. And that's what the essay is about. So machine learning will capture the je ne sais quoi of human existence. That is the name of the essay. And I just talked about it a lot more than the actual text of the essay, but you should still look at it. Got another one here, the difference between goals, strategies, metrics, OKRs, KPIs, and KRIs. Next idea here, you don't need perfect prevention. What you need is solid detection and response for when prevention inevitably fails. More is different. One of the most important papers ever written on emergence. I just finished, I think like three or four books um, and a whole bunch of stuff I was reading was talking about emergence. So I'm about to pull on that thread a bit. This is a canonical paper on emergence. It's called More is Different, which is also just an awesome name. IAM is the real cloud lock-in. This is awesome. Someone was saying uh, serverless or Lambda is like a lock-in. And someone responded, they're like, no, IAM is the lock-in because if you're using IAM for everything, then forget about the services. Like, how are you going to get off of that? Uh, the salary needed to buy a home in 50 U.S. Uh, metro areas. This is frightening. And an extraordinary Sam Harris podcast on the future of artificial general intelligence. Absolutely have to listen to this thing. It is uh, fantastic. It's actually about John Brockman's new book, uh, Future Minds, something like that. And uh, it's another one of John Brockman's uh, anthologies. So it's like a whole bunch of experts talking, just giving little clips of, of wisdom on that particular topic. Uh, maybe it's called Possible Minds. But anyway, Sam has three of the authors on there and just basically talks them through their opinions. And it's just great. And the last one is crazy. It's super crazy and scary. You want to listen to this podcast. Discovery, threat hunting, and DNS over HTTPS. Fei-Fei uh, Li talks the future of AGI with Yuval Harari. This was at Sanford. 
I loved Harari in this. Uh, it was, it's like a, it's a video. It's, it's a podcast, whatever. Um, loved Harari as usual, but was very disappointed with Feifei's comments. It, it seemed like she wasn't even aware of like the current reading and the thinking to be part of this conversation to let alone to move it actually forward. Seriously confused as, as to how this mismatch of Harari and her on stage happened. Cause I bet many people in the audience would, would have done that a lot better, including anyone who's listened to any of Sam's podcasts. Like it just seemed like she wasn't even aware of the conversation. Uh, you can now share podcast clips with people on overcast. This is super cool. I, and for exactly this reason, like there's a really cool few clips on that Sam Harris podcast I was just talking about that I've, I wanted to send. And now this week, this feature just came out so I can send like a 30 second clip and embed it in like Twitter or whatever. Uh, very much in love with a blog called Farnham street by Shane Parrish, uh, stunned by how much we have in common and, and how we approach things really cool stuff. It's inspiring me to like get to the next level as well. Cause his stuff is just super, super tight. Magic. The gathering might be AI's next challenge for like open AI tactical analysis of the battle of Winterfell and cert as asset, cert asset, extract domain names from IP ranges. Notes this week. Uh, so I solved the mystery around membership billing issues. There's a feature available, which I've already enabled that links existing plans to each other, which means when you have a $5 a month membership, for example, if you already have one and you change your membership to $50 a year, it'll automatically stop the old one and put you onto the new one effective immediately. This was not happening before. And it was causing major frustration because um, and I've got the email here that I sent to them. I'm like, look, people are getting mad about this. And I've had multiple emails where they were still getting charged the $5 per month, but they switched over to the 50 a year. So they got charged the 50, but then the next month would come and they would still get the $5 because the system didn't know that they were on the old one. They wanted the transition. So anyway, got it fixed. Um, if that happened to you, I'm really sorry. Please reach out again and make sure it got fixed and reimburse you if necessary. And uh, for anyone who's about to subscribe or change the actual plan, you shouldn't actually have this problem. But uh, serious apologies for anyone who was in that mess. I, personally, I can't stand <laughs> that kind of drama with anything I'm paying for. I'm like, you know, get your stuff together or uh, I'm not going to participate. Um. All right. So, oh, and I've got another thing here about Farnham Street. Ah, that's unfortunate. Well, anyway, it's good enough to mention twice. Recommendations. The Toxicity of Fear. This is a very short essay that I wrote about not being afraid in your work and in your life. Just check it out. And the aphorism for the week, the difference between vision and hallucination is execution. The difference between vision and hallucination is execution. Thomas Edison. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. 
And don't forget that the show is both a podcast and a newsletter. So you can get more information about everything you just heard by subscribing to the newsletter or reading the blog posts for each episode. Also keep in mind that I do the show weekly, but if you're not a member, you're currently only getting every other odd numbered episode. And if you want to get every episode of the podcast and newsletter, you can become a member at danielmeisler.com slash subscribe for less than a latte per month. Being a member will also get you access to the subscriber area of the site, which is the home for all previous member episodes, as well as other types of premium and experimental content. We'll see you next time.